0: provide services that the the market is not filling in their area, and they do it very well.
1: Hey there, this is the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, and I'm Lisa Gonzalez. Today, Chris interviews Alyssa Clemson-Roberts. She is Manager of Industry Affairs for Rural Infrastructure Issues for the Utilities Telecom Council. Alyssa and Chris discuss the growing role of cooperatives in bringing broadband to rural America. Unlike large ISPs that need to provide maximum profit for distant shareholders, cooperatives are owned by the people they serve. As a result, their decisions take into account benefits to the local community. As Alyssa notes, cooperatives know how to fill the gap left by big corporate providers. We often focus on restrictions that prevent municipalities from offering telecommunications services, but cooperatives often face similar state barriers. As we look for ways to expand access to residents, businesses, and other entities, co-ops can play an important role that should not be restricted by state legislation.
2: Co-ops reinforce the concept of local choice. Here are Chris and Alyssa. Welcome to the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell, and today I'm speaking with Alyssa Clemson-Roberts, the Manager of Industry Affairs for Rural and Infrastructure Issues at the Utilities Telecom Council. Welcome to the show.
0: Thanks for having me,
2: Chris. The Utilities Telecom Council, often dealing with rural issues, um, UTC abbreviated, what is it?
0: UTC is a global trade organization, and we represent critical utilities. So that could range anywhere from electric gas to water utilities. And um, our primary focus is on their telecommunications that they use to support their core business, our issues range anywhere from spectrum issues, cybersecurity, smart grid and network modernization, co-location and joint use, and then, of course, rural broadband.
2: When did you get involved in all this? I assume it's not a 50-year-old organization.
0: We're actually a 60-year-old organization, wow. which is interesting, yes.
2: For 60 years, UTC has recognized the incredible importance of the overlap with telecommunications information to monitor and take care of utilities' needs. Is that the, the sort of reason for its being?
0: Absolutely, and that, that's exactly it. And we think, you know, as important as it was 60 years ago, it's even more important today with what's going on in the especially electric world.
2: And so you have members that are um, publicly owned, privately owned, cooperatively owned. You you span the whole big gamut, right?
0: We span the gamut. We're non discriminatory when it comes to
2: utilities. One of the things I'm really curious about is is how the attitudes of your members toward broadband has shifted over the years. Is there has there been any sort of interesting shift?
0: The one thing that I will say is RBC is a relatively new organization. That's an independent operating unit within. UTC. And so how this kind of started was there were a number of utilities that were providing broadband over power line service, and when that company went out of business, we started having these conversations of what do we do, how do they tell their members that they're going to have to go back to dial-up or satellite, both of which they found insufficient, and how do they provide their services to their members? And so we formed this kind of loose-knit alliance called the Rural Broadband Initiative, And it just kind of quickly grew, and what started as a group of about seven turned into 70 in about three weeks. So at that point, we knew we either needed to get organized and form our own association or find an association that would be able to house these issues and advocate for them properly. So we kind of shopped around with the different trade associations, and we just found with UTC having such a focus on the communications piece of the utility industry that it was a perfect fit. So a little over a year ago, I think it was March of 2013, RBI became part of UTC and then became RBC.
2: For most of its history, if I had to guess, UTC has probably been interested in telecom for more of the internal needs of utilities. And it sounds like you brought more of a focus on how utilities can supply, uh, you know, telecommunication services to outside entities.
0: Yes, that's and that's absolutely correct. And I think What's so interesting and such a neat part of this is that both needs can be met easily with one company, and that's our you know, utility.
2: This is a group you've been working with for a while that focused on rural broadband. I guess there's, there's two different things we often hear from people, whether they're in the state capitals or inside the Beltway, uh, who are representing the interests of the big companies. One is these folks in rural areas don't need it. They don't care about it. Uh, and the other is... Uh, we've met all their needs anyway. And so let's tackle the first one. Uh, Do people in rural areas uh, need better broadband services? Do they even care about it?
0: So I'm going to give you a couple interesting facts here. So one of the things that I think is most telling is when I spoke to um, my co-ops, one of the things that they reminded me of that I had forgotten is that farmers are actually the original technologists of this country. They were the leading factors in the Industrial Revolution. And one of the things that I think people don't realize or don't want to acknowledge is that farmers don't just want broadband. They need it to survive. So that's the first point I want to make. And the second point I want to make is every time um, Midwest Energy, which is a rural electric cooperative in Michigan, has a district meeting, they they have a series of questions that people ask their utility about. And nine times out of ten, what they're asking is, is, We don't have broadband. How can you help us get it? And I think that's very telling. You're great with electricity. You do a great job at that, but that's nice, and we take that for granted. We want broadband. Help us get it. And even Bark Bark, um, Electric, which is in um, southwestern Virginia, did a study recently, surveyed their members, and they found that 80% of their members thought that broadband was either essential or an important part of their life. So I think those facts are are easily dispelled, and I guess – What I would say, again, to some of these folks that are doubters or questioners or, you know, maybe taking us down a path that's not quite accurate, come out and visit these rural communities. Come out and talk to these rural schools. Come out and talk to rural business owners. They will tell you time and time again that if something doesn't change, they're going to be left behind. And we see that continually with kind of this rural outflight that we're seeing. You know, 2010 was the first time that we saw rural America in this country decline in population. It's been a consistent trend for the last three years, and those numbers are growing. And we really believe a lot of that is, is in fact, due to broadband. They're not able to work from home. If you're a homebound patient, you can't get medical care you need. We have veterans in this country who live in rural areas that don't have easy access to a VA facility because it's just not financially feasible to build one everywhere that could take advantage of this. And we have schools that aren't able to offer standardized testing properly because they're having to schedule it based on their IT department instead of on what students and teachers need. So that's a complete falsehood. I cannot tell you enough times how often this happens and I'll even give another example so Johnson County REMC which is in Indiana uh, built a fiber middle mile backbone to to carry their SCADA data and so their their residents their his members saw Chet's members saw this fiber going into the ground and they started asking the crews what are you doing and they said oh we're you know we're burying fiber and they said oh fantastic when are we going to get broadband when are we going to get broadband well The system that they built initially is for the middle mile with plans to expand, but every day now, Chet's co-op gets a call saying, when are you going to bring me broadband and why don't I have it yet? I could go countless stories of of this, examples all over the country where this is happening, where members are looking to their rural electric utility to provide them this service that they don't have, because this is what they do. Co-ops don't just provide electricity. Some of them provide trash. They provide propane. Some of them do computer repair. They do electrical work. Uh, They they provide services that the the market is not filling in their area, and they do it very well.
2: You know, that's one of the reasons we're such big fans of co-ops, because of the way that they, they meet their needs. Of their members. Um, They're structurally accountable to them specifically to do that. However, you know, there's there's certainly been cases where we find um, some of the uh, leadership within the co-op is resistant because they'll read some of the propaganda that has been created by, um, you know, someone that AT&T or Comcast pays to say, you know, municipal networks are a big failure. And some of the co-ops then read that and think, well, I don't know if we want to get involved in this business. It seems really hard. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm curious, you, know, you must have had some of these same conversations as well. How, how do those normally go?
0: What they're most concerned about is their financial liability with this. It is not more expensive to build broadband in rural America than it is in urban America. In some cases, it's cheaper. So that's the first myth I think we need to throw out there and say it's not true. The real difference is, is that the return on investment is far lower. What they find is that with the capital investment that this requires, they need a little assistance and they need some help. I am finding every day that more and more co-ops are stepping forward and saying, how do I get involved? They're watching some of the early adapters and adopters out there that are providing this service. You've got Kit Carson in New Mexico. You've got Como in Missouri. They're offering gigabit service. I believe Kit Carson is getting ready to as well. You've got Northeast Oklahoma, which is getting ready to do a massive fiber build. And what we're seeing is that their issue is not – are they getting the take rate? Their issue is that they're getting far more people than they thought they would get. Most of the cops right now are finding even in the pre-signup phase before doing any advertising, they're hitting between 30 and 40 pre-subscribers. When they start turning on the service, we're seeing that anywhere between 50 and 60% are subscribing to services. I think with the success, of these organizations doing this, we're going to continue to see others that maybe have been more skeptical in the past get involved. And and I don't begrudge them being hesitant because no one wakes up in the morning in this world and says, boy, I really want to build a broadband network. This is going to be a lot of fun.
1: <laughs> <laughs> or
0: I'm going to get rich doing this, right? They do this because their members call for it. And as their members call for it, I think we're going to continue to see them step up to the plate and get involved and get engaged much like they did in the 30s and 40s with electricity
2: I think that's a really good reminder that that this is something that they provide and as I would say it's not just that the members demand it; it's also that you know they correctly recognize that they are not gonna have anyone else come in and do it for them that they really need to do it themselves um, and and I want to echo what you said. I, you're you're absolutely right regarding the cost of of building um, in rural areas. I, I was just speaking with uh, folks in Danville, Virginia, where Danville Utilities does a, a wonderful job of providing internet access and has for over ten years. One of their biggest employers in the region, a very large employer, um, had been trying to figure out how to get a better internet connection, and they had solicited bids, and you know they I think they. They couldn't find anyone that would expand to them for less than a $100,000 upfront cost. And the electric utility said, oh, we'll figure out a way of doing it. And it took them two days. You know, they just plowed it in the ground. Um, you know, the return on investment is much better in San Francisco, but you sure as heck can't put fiber in the ground in two days and to get anywhere.
0: And that's absolutely right. And I, and I think, you know, it's not just the businesses that are demanding. It's really schools. I mean, when you look at what some of these networks are doing, like the North Georgia Network, And uh, Douglas Electric in Oregon, you know, they're doing this not just for their, their businesses, but really for their schools and their medical centers, too. Douglas Electric has done some fantastic things. They wired the community college. Now they have free Wi-Fi on campus. They're able to offer online classes. You know, five years ago, they had none. Now they have over 400 offerings. Their schools are able to schedule their testing, again, when teachers feel is right for students, the best time of the day for them, not based on how do we split this network out into 80 million pieces and hope to God we don't lose students as they're taking the test. It's just this concern and care for community, and it's something that's so deeply ingrained in the cooperative culture. It's, I, I think it's really what makes them special.
2: I'd like to, to end by asking you about some of the states that make it a little more difficult for uh, electric co-ops, for instance, to get into this. Um, you and I had talked about this briefly before, and, and I know that UTC is really frowns on all the states that have made it hard for municipalities to build networks but we haven't yet really dug into the ways in which some states actually make it different, difficult for co-ops to get into this.
0: We know that Tennessee has some pretty strict laws prohibiting this, and it's something that we're looking at and hoping that you know Chairman Wheeler will rule on. And I would extend this even to the state of Washington. Washington doesn't have rules against cooperatives doing this, but they specifically have laws outlawing a public utility district from providing this service, not municipals and not cooperatives, but public utility, utility districts, which act much like an electric co-op so it is an issue and i think we're going to continue to see cooperatives challenge this and again we're really hopeful with the chairman's strong words lately that he'll take a stand and say enough is enough we should be for competition we should be for broadband expansion and we should be for local community choice
2: tennessee actually makes it difficult for cooperatives um to build we've spent so much time talking about municipalities i won't. i don't want people to think that we're confused but But as you said, it appears that Tennessee makes it very difficult for cooperatives to offer broadband service. And in in Washington state, they they specifically outlaw the ability of the public utility districts to deliver retail services. They can do wholesale services, which it can be very difficult to make those pay for themselves, particularly in rural areas. Um, But we're we're seeing these very real limitations on um, cooperatives in a number of states, in addition to the states that limit municipal networks.
0: Absolutely, and, and we saw it in Georgia. You know, they've been trying for the last couple of years to to ban this for co ops in Georgia as well and, and create restrictions for municipalities too. And I think again to me, this is such a simple simple way forward. It's good public policy. it's it's good public policy in the fact that it's good for communities and it's good for the security of our grid. I mean this telecommunications and the the core critical communications that utilities need, it's going to affect their core business. And no one in their right mind is going to let someone else control their core business. And utilities need the security and the reliability of their own networks to be able to haul the data today and we aren't even beginning to talk about, you know, what's coming in the future. When you talk about adding electric vehicles, when you talk about renewable integration, when you talk about microgrids, when you talk about real-time pricing, you cannot have latency. You need instant, instant access, instant two-way communications, and that's something that utilities are starting to need today and are going to need in the future. the, the earth is shifting right now in this world.
2: Yes, it is and, and because of the work of people like you and, and I like to think myself, you know it's, it's shifting in many ways in our favor so we can we can end this uh, show with a smile. Uh, thank you for coming on.
0: Thanks so much for having me Chris. I really appreciate it.
2: We have quite a few stories on co-ops
1: at org, including some of the cooperatives Alyssa mentioned in the interview. Send us your ideas for the show. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org. Follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at Community Nets. This show was released on July 29th, 2014. Thank you again to Waylon Thornton for the music. The song is called Bronco Romp, and it's licensed using Creative Commons. Have a great day.